Um, just got to get my stuff together here. So uh, those of you who live here in Canada will know that this is uh, Truth and Reconciliation Weekend. The purpose of this annual focus is to honor those who survived the residential school system implemented by our national government and that was supported by um, many church structures. We also use this focus to grieve alongside the families that lost children through sickness and disease and through neglect and abuse within the residential school system. We acknowledge that these children who, uh, some of these children never got to go back home. And in many instances, were not even acknowledged as having passed or having their grave marked with their names. So we feel it's really, really important to bring what's happening out there in here into the sanctuary of the church. We don't often use the word sanctuary in this gathering, but if we consider what it means, that it's a safe place and a refuge, I think we can find some beautiful imagery that demonstrates for us just how important it is to see the people and events around us and for us to find ways to include them as we gather together. So this morning, we want to acknowledge our national focus on truth and reconciliation with the indigenous, with our indigenous siblings. This is not something that should be foreign in our churches, but incorporating this theme is, and, and incorporating this theme is not outside of the gospel, because I believe it's at the heart of the gospel. The challenges our culture offers us are the very opportunities we are given to actually demonstrate our faith and show others how we follow Jesus. So we have worked with diligence towards this time we have together this morning. We've chosen two voices to share with us today. So Lori Dena Engelson lives in Fort St. James, which is in the middle of our province. And she and John have joined us via Zoom um, since the depths of COVID. Lori is celebrating uh, one of their son's um, marriage this weekend but she was so willing and so um, passionate about wanting to share on this topic when we asked her that Sarah sat down with her last week uh, via Zoom and recorded Lori's message this morning. So we're gonna hear Lori via a recording and then we're gonna hear Sherry, Sherry Sinclair who joins us in our live gatherings. Um, we're gonna hear her live via Zoom. <laughs> so um, Sue, or Sherry and Dave have been a part of us for about a year and have just recently, um, has just recently um, 
joined us on the Bridge Steering Team, and we're super grateful for their voices in the mix. So both work within the social infrastructure here in BC and have jobs that are significantly immersed in the Indigenous culture. So uh, they'll be sharing some thoughts and encouragement and likely some challenges um, for us in bringing um, our own offerings to truth and reconciliation. Um, just before I go to um, uh, give us our, our announcements, I'm just gonna read from Ephesians 2, 16 to 18. This is from the First Nations version of the New mm -hmm. Testament. And um, I, I wanna read from this because I, I want us to understand that we're not straying from scripture this Sunday by putting this focus on, but that we are, um, we are following Jesus and what he called us to by, uh, by following this topic. So Ephesians 2, 16 to 18 from the uh, First Nations version of scripture. Even though we behaved like enemies, we are now friends with the great spirit and with one another. When creator sets free, creator sets free is the name for Jesus in this version. When creator sets free, died on the cross, those things that made us enemies died with him. We are now joined together as one people in one body. He brought this good story of peace and harmony to people who were far away from him and to people who were close to him. Because of him, we both have a clear path through one spirit to the Father from above. I'm going to finish the service with the rest of that story. So um, stay tuned for that. And we'll go to some announcements before we head into um, Avisio Divina. So welcome to the bridge. Um, those of us who live here in the Abbotsford area live on the traditional lands of the Semiamu, Stolo, and Kwatlin peoples. And we acknowledge that and that this is unceded territory, which means there was never any um, agreement made on this part. And so we live on this land, um, not even being invited. And we have to live in the, in, in the tension of that all the time. And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to introduce you to Lando, who is going to lead us in communion now. Lando, will you join us? All right. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Imagine, if you will, the events that are leading up to the Last Supper. Jesus had showed up and called disciples, and uh, they'd seen miraculous events. They'd seen uh, people raised from the dead. And water turned into wine. And stories and parables that just never stopped coming. 
after three years or so, they were about to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus sent some disciples ahead to prepare the place and prepare the meal. And uh, I'm not sure who all did that. Was it a mix of men and women or just the women or did Jesus get involved? Uh, what did the other disciples do? Were they just shooting the breeze, drinking tea, chewing tobacco, arguing who was the best? You know how they did. What was Judas doing? Trying to get the, maybe uh, make a good deal with the food suppliers because uh, someone had to get the food from somewhere. <laughs> then the meal was ready and uh, probably Nathaniel called everybody together. I don't know. It was most likely lamb roasted on the barbecue, slow cooked bean dish. Uh, bitter herbs with uh, uh, watercress, parsley, and endives, uh, pistachios, dates, and figs. Also a fish sauce that was used for dipping and pouring over things. Olives were everywhere. Of course, unleavened bread. They weren't uh, allowed to have uh, yeast, yeast in the house for seven days. And these communal meals were... Uh, uh, interesting affairs where you kind of laid on the floor uh, with pillows and cu uh, cushions and the food was set on low tables. Uh, and and, the, and it was, they were in bowls or containers and you kind of dipped your food in here and there. It wasn't an orderly affair like uh, we have today where we pass the food around and everyone waits until, you know, everyone's got all the food. It was, it was you know, quite, I can imagine some a little bit of friendly pushing and shoving. Anyway, uh, this is the kind of the how maybe it was. So imagine now that you were there and uh, we're going to pick up the story from Matthew. And then as it goes along, we'll actually participate. <clears throat> it was evening. Jesus sat down with the 12 disciples. And uh, while they were eating, he said, the truth is one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, one by one, they began to ask, I'm not the one, am I, Lord? He replied, one of you who is eating with me now will betray me. For I, the Son of Man, must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for my betrayer, far better for him if it had never been born, if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, teacher, I'm not the one, am I? Jesus told him, you have said it yourself. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat, for this is my body. So let's do that. Let's uh, break the bread and, and eat it. Body of Christ broken for you. Of course, I took too big of a piece. I'm still chewing here. And I'm supposed to keep leading this. All right. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them. Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which seals the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Let's uh, drink the wine or whatever you have.
This is my blood, which seals the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. All right. Is Sherry up next? All right. Um, Sherry and Dave, I see you in the orange shirts there. It's wonderful. The screen, and uh, we're happy to have you share with us today. Uh, let's take a moment to pray, and, uh, and we'll get started. Our Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the The little celebration that we just took part in, the meaning of it is so vast beyond what we can imagine, but we try and we want to continue to remember. And today, as we also are celebrating Truth and the Truth and Resolution, uh, we are trying to understand all that too, oh God. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would Help us. And today, as Sherry shares with us, give her your joy and your peace and give your, your ins her insight and give her understanding and, and help the rest of us to, to listen and to be uh, receptive uh, and, and maybe see things a little more clearly in some regard. We give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're actually going to have Lori's um, tape first oh. and then let Sherry go on. But that's fine. Sylvia's going to get that teed up for us. And so who we're going to listen to for uh, first is uh, Lori uh, Den Engelson from St. James. Fort St. James. Well, hi, Laurie. I'm so glad we could do this recording ahead of time. And I'm sorry you can't be with us in person today, but I understand you're doing something quite exciting. So it's all forgivable. What are you up to? Well, um, my middle son is getting married in Langley on the 30th of September. So we're kind of committed all weekend to wedding wedding things. Hey, I'm gonna... It's Truth and Reconciliation Weekend. I understand your job has been really engaged fun. with First Nations where you live. So that's why we thought to ask you a bunch of questions. So first one is... How has your work life embraced truth and reconciliation? Honestly, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a tsunami of experience and knowledge that I've gained from working with First Nations. It's sort of, I've been living and working on the traditional territory of Nakaziwatan for just about 29 years. And um, it's been a progressive process of learning to understand and live alongside First Nations. I started out just the First Nations communities uh, and first and Fort St. James, Nakazi uh, Reserve and first Fort St. James butt up right next to one another. Our schools are like um, at least 50% First Nations kids. We're on their traditional territory. So we're the visitors, the, the guests on their territory. Dakath culture is taught in the schools. It's sort of everywhere. I slowly in my various jobs got more and more involved with First Nations. And as I progressed through, when you enter into working with people and you employ some empathy 
and some thought, it's really hard to not be bombarded by the need for truth and reconciliation. So the last eight years I've worked exclusively with First Nations, and I, I think it's been the most transformative thing for me. Truth and reconciliation for me isn't a document. It's visceral. It's people's faces. It's situations that I've sat in, and it's reserves I've visits, visited. It's homes I've been in. It's, it's hard, sad horrible things that people experience. That would be how how work has woven its way or, or the truth and reconciliation has woven its way through the work I've been doing. I worked at a um, First Nations Child and Family Services Agency. I'm actually a nurse by education, but up here, education gets utilized in lots of um, various ways. They, they make good use of you up here if you have some education. So I ended up working in this Child and Family Services Agency and various positions I held um, at one point and for about four years, I was I started and managed early childhood programs um, on two of the different reserves that we served. I, I managed a program called Family Preservation, which goes people go into the homes and they they help work on life skills and so forth. And then the other part of what I did in different at different times at that agency was I was called a caregiver support worker. So basically my job was to go in and support children from the community communities that we served, the families, support the family. So often grandmothers, primarily it was grandmothers. So I think that's probably been one of the most powerful parts of it was getting involved with and really getting to know some of these amazing grandmothers. I had one lady who, she was a great grandmother. She had raised her own children. She admitted fully she had had, it was a, a, a very, very, very tumultuous life she was living when she was raising her own children. She was struggling with addiction issues herself and domestic violence. Her children struggled very severely, one of some of them worse than others, but she ended up raising four of her grandchildren. And when I got involved with her, I'd known her for many years, but when I got involved with her more intimately, um, she was raising two great grandchildren. Uh, so she was an amazing woman, absolutely amazing. And the pain was just right there alongside the strength, you know, like she had just lived a life of huge trauma, but also the strength that she carried was just phenomenal. I don't, I can't even begin to describe the respect I have for these women. And, and a lot of them, they come out of their addiction issues, their own struggles, they fight their way into a place of health, and then they take that healthy place that they've attained and start putting it right back into their families and into their communities. Um, you know, and every time I think I'm having a bad day, I think about some of these women and the, the struggles and, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are struggling with huge dysfunction in their, in their families. A lot of times the children they're caring for have, you know, really intense uh, issues around learning and behavior. Um, then they have within their family unit often a lot of dysfunction that they're trying to deal with. And then, you know, the community issues and then the systemic racism. And, you know, so it just, it's just incredible the pressure that they carry every day. And mm -hmm. I have white privilege. Like that's, I said this to one of my coworkers who is also non-First Nations. I said, you know, we have white privilege. I can step out of this pile of trauma and pain and I can step into my nice, comfortable white life and take a break. 
and I can get away from all this. But these folks, this is their life. They're in this all the time. And it's also for First Nations workers, it's the same. They're serving people from their communities. They might be helping their cousins, you know, <laughs> like, so it's, I, I really could see my white privilege in that. I really feel like I've got a bit of a porridge around in my mind around this because I'm really realizing as being asked these questions that I'm just starting to process everything I've seen. I hear your appreciation for the strength of the women that you've worked with. Is there anything else that you've uh, learned through this? Years ago, I went to the house of an elder and I walked in the door. I was going to come in and check her medications this is when I was working as a nurse. And here in her kitchen table is this slab of moose meat that's just like massive like it must have been like an entire thigh or something sitting on her table and the, the biggest bag of huckleberries i've ever seen and and it was gifted to her you know someone just showed up at her door you know and and gave her this this meat and so it was, it was just a sharing a, rev, a reverence for elders um that that's another thing that i've learned uh i mean i've always loved deeply deeply elderly people in my life including my parents and grandparents but the way that they do it and and it's not again it's not perfection and um colonization and the re residential school system has certainly disrupted this but if, if it's possible for them to be at home they're at home somebody's there taking care of them it's just expected you know somebody's there if they are in hospital especially around the time of someone dying that room will be packed with like 20 family members you know it's there's just that sense of community and togetherness i think one of the other things that i found really really interesting because the residential school system went on for generations and i could go on for hours just about that that issue alone but these young children were plucked away from their families sometimes as early as four you know they were plucked away and taken to a to a residential school and they were often usually met by hardship and it could be you know abuse it could be uh, inadequate food uh, they weren't allowed to talk their language they weren't allowed to talk to the brothers and sisters it was pretty harsh you know and these little kids growing up in this environment but i have met so many native elders that somehow have filtered through the dogma and the you know rhetoric and found god and i'm sure that there were some light happy moments when there's a group of children you can't help but have light happy moments even in residential school but uh, and i've heard of some of those some of them are actually quite funny some of the stories that they they tell of the antics that they got up to you know and but just like putting yourself into that headspace what helped me when i started thinking about residential school syndrome is to think about what it would be like in my own life to have either been that child taken from my parents or been the mother whose children were taken away from her at that young age and not to see them and not to know what's going on that to me has has helped me understand the the situation that first nations are in now that huge loss of connection for people that were all about community they're stripped away and all of the things the traditions and the language and the things that they would have been taught you know right at parents sides and grandparents sides and aunties and uncles sides what didn't happen i've 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 done a lot of thinking about residential school and all of the abuses and everything are horrible. But to me, I think one of the things that has been the most detrimental and 
why we need truth and reconciliation is the loss of identity. Their identity was stripped from them. So they get a residential school, they're taught to be farmers and to be a white person, but they're not white people. They're Dakas people or they're, you know, they're indigenous people, right? And then they go back to their communities and they, they don't have all that history with all those people. So it really puts a person into a identity crisis in a way that we can't even fathom <laughs> yeah you, you become a, a third culture person so you don't quite fit in that culture you don't fit yeah. into that culture you're yeah. sort of in this no man's land exactly do you have suggestions for us yeah. for people who don't work and live where you do it seems like you can't actually not be in this process yeah. it's like you're swimming in the middle of the river and the rest of us might be paddling so do you have any suggestion for a paddlers I think, you know, one of the most important things you can do is educate yourself and not perpetuate the, the lies. Allow yourself as best as you can where you are to become decolonized. And what I mean by that is to really understand, try to put yourself in situations, read, watch things that help you to understand people's stories from the margins, from perspectives that you might not you know, just understand innately. There's a video series called Eighth Fire and it's available on YouTube. It's a Canadian production. I think it's about four sessions. They're each about a, just a little over an hour and they're very, very well done. And they explain Indigenous struggles so well. So Eighth Fire, if you want to go on YouTube and look that up, if you're uh, somebody that likes to watch videos, if you want to read, Man, it, there's been an explosion of Indigenous stories and perspectives. <laughs> I just started this one. I, I'll put a link to it. It's called Truth Telling, Seven Conversations About Indigenous, Indigenous Life in Canada by Michelle Good. There's a um, just a myriad of books to choose from. So I just encourage you just to educate yourself more and more as our, as our, as our society understands and empathizes and apologizes and changes you know, the systems that hold Indigenous people where they are, we're all going to be better. Indigenous people are amazing. The perspective they bring, they're the, the original green people, you know, they live sustainably. If we had just, as, as settlers come and learn from them rather than trying to change them, oh my gosh, we would have been in so much better place. You know, now we've got to backtrack and, and they've got to reinvent themselves. And I'm seeing it happen. You know, they're embracing both you know, the new world and the old world. It doesn't look like it did pre-European contact, but it, you know, they're rediscovering things and trying to hang on to their language and trying to hang on to their culture. And one thing I wanted to say to kind of end on, I guess, is one time somebody told me that, you know, forgiveness can happen with one person, but reconciliation takes two people. And, you know, in order to reconcile, you know, you need to understand and fully embrace the other person's perspective and change your perspective and come alongside them and just don't perpetuate don't let those things that we've had in our minds growing up whether it's from the church or just from our non-indigenous culture permeate your mind renew your mind with some new information and because uh, there's lots out there that's awesome thank you laurie that's that's great i think there's lots of things for us to do that i mean reading the document is a good place to start Exactly. My funny enough, my husband's a forest technician and he, he for Pro D last year sat and read the 
truth and reconciliation document and he when he, he knew i was going to do this today he says encourage people to read the document go online find it just read it he said there's so much wonderful information in there and stories just that document alone um mm -hmm. will is a is another great place to start in just helping yourself thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this today I, one of the things that really profoundly happened to me the first time i started listening to the bridge it was just after they found the the bodies of the young children in Kamloops, um, yeah. 215. I was on the bridge that day and we, you actually, you guys had a, uh, an Indigenous advocate on, and I, I believe she was, she was an Indigenous woman herself and she just talked and, and I just, I just started to weep and I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, why is this impacting me? And I realized for the first time that I was actually able to unite my faith, my faith community with my what I have learned and known and worked with in the Indigenous community. Because, you know, as faith communities, this is exactly where we need to be learning about this stuff, how we can live well and with love with the people around us, right? Yeah, so. Thanks for sharing your experience with us. Yeah. It's, really, it's really, really helpful. It's one reason we, we're having church on October 1st. It's a long weekend and our habit, as you know, is to not have church on a long weekend. But this one doesn't feel like one we can kick back and relax yeah. on. It feels yeah. like we should learn on. So thank you for yeah. helping us with that part of that today. Good. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to shift over to Sherry. Um, there was so much in what Lori shared. Wow. So if you have questions or comments or anything like that, um, you can put them in the chat, but we'll wait till the end to kind of go through and um, and maybe Sherry can help respond to some of them. But um, um, we'll, we'll listen to Sherry now. So she's joining us from South Surrey Delta area, right? Yeah. Um, which... For those of us in the lower mainland, we know that that's just, uh, you know, a half hour away. Um, but for the rest of you, um, you might not know that, but now you do. Um, so um, go ahead, Sherry. We're looking forward to what you have to share. Thank you. Uh, that was amazing listening to Lori. Um, I hear all the passion and I certainly hear her experience. That's uh, beautiful. Uh, so um, I hear I'm a settler on an uninvited guest on the stolen lands of the Samyamu Katsi Kwatman People's Territory. And I'm really, really grateful to be able to share a little bit um, today. Uh, my colonized ancestors came to these lands and in turn colonized those living here. So with us focusing on truth and reconciliation today, I was thinking like we could focus on relationships and um, Nam Wei Yat is a Kwakwala word, and it means we are all one, that we are all connected and we're all in relationship. In the Genesis 127 creation story, God breathes life into one human, ultimately the body of Christ, where there is only union and no separation. In turning towards shadow, we've created constructs of separation like racism. But we're all one, we're in relationship in the same way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in relationship and can't be separated one from the other. Um, and just reading from John 1, 1 to 5, it's one of my favorite 
um, parts of scripture. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was close beside God, and the word was God. In the beginning, he was close beside God. All things came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists came into existence without him. Life was in him, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And part of our lectionary for this week, uh, Colossians 3, 5 to 11, verse 11 says, Here there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no difference between those who are circumcised, those who are not. There's no rude outsider or even a Scythian. There is no slave or free person, but Christ is everything, and he is in everything. So we're all fashioned by Jesus, made of Jesus, we're held together by Jesus, and then in union, we are alive with Jesus, co-creating with him. So thinking about that union um, and standing in this liminal space of human rights and social justice, can we open ourselves toward truth and reconciliation and make room to hear truth-telling of Canada's history, and then participate in making wrongs right. So the third annual, it's only been for three years, uh, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was yesterday. And as Lori was mentioning about the, the Indian residential schools, they ran for actually 127 years, started 1870, ended in 1997. 150,000 children lived at these schools, and those who survived, that were able to disclose their experiences to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC, you hear that acronym, uh, in a span of 2007 to 2015. And then these sacred stories were gathered into the 94 calls to action. And that's what we were saying, we could, we could read through that. So that's the truth part. Um, what about reconciliation? Uh, so the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, describes reconciliation as a process establishing and maintaining respectful relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. It's about working together to overcome the devastating effects of colonization. And as there's nothing new under the sun, colonizing countries use the similar tactics of breaking trust, lying, cheating, murder, and greed that King David in 2 Samuel, another part of our lectionary today, what he used against Uriah, which ultimately ended Uriah's life. And then this, the third part um, of our, uh, another part of our lectionary, Matthew 15, 15 to 20, Jesus is talking about how our mouth reveals our hearts. So King David's mouth revealed his heart. And so I was just thinking about it, that the hearts of the colonizers are also revealed now. Wide open, we are all seeing it. So they were, uh, colonizers gained at the mass account of, mass crimes against Indigenous communities and colonization destroyed families and their relationships. I was recently listening to educator Harley Eagle. He's Dakota and Anishinaabe ancestry. And it was pretty helpful. He he has must have done so much work himself. Um, so full of peace and uh, encouragement, actually. And he says that decolonization can restore uh, these relationships that have been destroyed. Uh, with ourselves and with creation, talking about the green and the environment. And so we can find a good road together toward making things right. So as Eden mentioned, you know, we are uninvited and we're just living here. You know, you're born into this part of the timeline and you look back, you didn't even know what had happened. 
So how can we live as um, a good guest and a good neighbor? Um, you know, what are some attributes of being a good guest? And I was thinking about not lying and having good manners, um, being thankful and helpful, maybe offer gifts to the host as we do when we go over to someone's house. We sometimes bring a little hostess gift. Um, don't take or damage the host things. Speak and act kindly to the host. Maybe show some a lot of respect and appreciation. And so I'm sort of using that as context and have a few questions um, for us today just to think about. Um, in my work at the White Rock South Surrey Division of Family Practice, I'm very lucky to support transformative reconciliation in our organization. And for me, it's it's not really work. Rather, it's where I can express how God's wired me and where I can participate in practical ways of social justice and human dignity. How do we unsee what we've seen? And hashtag do something. That's what Gord Downey of the Downey Wenjack Fund says. It's on their website, amazing website. If you want any resources, um, you can check that out. So thinking about some questions. So what is anything working? Like what's working in the scope of truth and reconciliation? So I was just thinking that my brief engagement, just the six years or so um, in truth and reconciliation, what I see working is love. Because without love, care, connection, sharing, courage. I think that Indigenous peoples on this land that we're calling Canada would have absolutely been wiped out because in other parts of the world that, is, that has happened. And then in other spaces where people are respected and valued for who they are, including Black Lives Matter, the queer community, persons living with a disability, the approach and attitude toward truth and reconciliation is similar. It's not learning a collection of the proper things to say or looking for someone who's weak, who needs our help. It's about love and respect. And it's looking for ways to participate in making things right with our brothers and sisters, reflecting and asking ourselves the hard questions like, what are my biases? Where are my prejudices? How do I discriminate? Because we're all in the, we're all colonized together and it, you know we don't know what we don't know. But this is our opportunity to love on this timeline that we get to be alive on for such a time as this. So thinking about Indigenous communities, what path toward truth and reconciliation might be making meaning there? Um, and the first thing I think about is that path would be through relationship. So we'd ask the Indigenous person or community, what gives you meaning? What do you think about truth and reconciliation? And then listen and follow what they're saying. And then what about some obvious gaps? Blind gaps, too, because we don't know what we don't know. Um, I think the biggest gap is awareness. Many, many people don't know what happened in the past 500 years and in the history of Canada and how the colonized peoples came over from Europe to colonize and settled the free land being given away. But that land was land that was taken from Indigenous communities who were living here for thousands of years. So we need to keep hearing the stories and build relationships. And just thinking about how can we participate in this journey toward truth and reconciliation? So many of us in our everyday or in our workday, we're not really in an environment that has a focus on truth and reconciliation. And my answer would be relationships. Um, talk and pray with Jesus and pray for light, pray for love. Um, see if you can make a few indigenous friends, um, be at a human pace, 
the Joseph family are a family of love. If you look up Chief Dr. Robert Joseph, he's the author of Namwayet. And his son, Bob, Bob Joseph, he leads the Indigenous Corporate Training. And um, Bob shares a few ideas. Um, Sylvia, if you're able to put that slide up, you can. And if not, don't worry about it. Um, so here Bob says, you know, we can listen to Indigenous voices and stories, attend events, learn, read books, watch videos that Lori was talking about. Michelle Good as well has got an amazing book called Five Little Indians. Uh, CBC podcast, Unreserved, uh, Rose, uh, Roseanne Deerchild. Uh, recently, uh, Bones of Crows as a streaming on GEM, CBC. Uh, support Indigenous businesses. Um, check if the product that you have doesn't say made in China, like you want it to be something that someone has uh, made an artisan. Participate, go to events um, like yesterday um, or May 5th, Murdered Missing Indigenous Women and Girls or June 21, um, um, National Indigenous Peoples Day. And then donate to charities that are focused on education, health, cultural preservation um, or Indigenous led initiatives and commit, you know, commit to ongoing education. So I just wanna close, that's great, thank you. I just wanna close with um, Richard Wagamese. Uh, he's a wonderful indigenous author. He's now passed away. Um, and then offer a short prayer. So quoting from Richard's book, Amber's One Opich Ways Meditations. Teachings come from everywhere when you open yourself to them. That's the trick of it really. Open yourself to everything and everything opens itself to you. So if you like, please join me and pray and pray. <laughs> uh, dear Creator, please give us the grace for humility to learn and unlearn. Help us to open ourselves to everything, and may you open everything to us for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. Does really really helpful um i i think both laurie and sherry had just such exceptional things to share and to to give us some context i i was thinking about like while you were suggesting something sherry of like how how to act normal i think is really what it comes down to yes. like um engage with someone um, from the indigenous culture, like you would someone you're trying to get to know that you actually want to get to know. So ask open questions and then listen. <laughs> if you wanna know them, if you wanna honor them, if you wanna respect them, that's how you go about it. And it's not so foreign for us. We're, we're thinking like we wanna check off some boxes and it's like, no, like, can we see them? Can we honor them as if we would honor anyone that we respect? And, and then a lot of the stilted steps, the, the, you know, the awkwardness can really be dispelled because we know our way. We know our way. So, um, Wow, so much food for thought. <laughs> Hashtag do something is awesome. <laughs> I love that. 
Do you want to have the final word, Sherry? Like, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, maybe just what came to mind when um, Tanya, <laughs> Mom, yes. was was saying, um, is it's it's not going to be one thing, and it's not going to be like a policy. It's going to be many, 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 many drops of water into that bucket, and so be one of those drops, and you know, and and you you know, like any other good work, you don't know what it's going to go to, you don't what it's going to lead to. You just do <laughs> hashtag do something, yeah, you know, like like just um, be curious and uh, yeah, yeah, just awesome. keep talking. keep talking, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to close with this. Um, it's the next three verses from the ones I opened from uh, or with from Ephesians 2. So I started with uh, Ephesians 2, 16 to 18. I'm closing with 19 to 22 from the First Nations version. And this uh, paragraph in this version is called a new sacred lodge. Now we are all his holy people and members of one new nation. No one is on the outside of this great family that our father is creating. We are all related to one another and initiated into creator's lodge that is built together with wooden poles. The message bearers and the prophets of old are the wooden poles and um, creator sets free, who is Jesus, is the main pole binding us together. Like branches being weaved into his sacred lodge. So joined together in this way, we become a dwelling place of the spirit. So Jesus, thank you for calling us to be willing to hear truth, even when it's painful, and to call us to move in reconciliation, even when it costs us. Help us to see the other. Help us to love the other. Help us to care and honor and love the other. In your name we pray. Amen. Hope you all have a good week. We have no live gathering. We have no Zoom gathering next week because in Canada we have Thanksgiving. If you live any other place than Canada, have Thanksgiving on behalf of Canadians uh, and just enjoy a lovely meal bring some friends over, some family, and just be grateful. I'm certainly grateful for all of you, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>